G'day and welcome to the CX Central Podcast. My name is Justin Tippett and today I'm joined by Dr. I've never said this before, Dr. Jason Price. Welcome, Jason. Hi, Justin. Fantastic to have you on the show. Um, as I said, we don't normally speak to doctors uh, when we're talking about all things customer service and customer experience. So I'm going to start right from there because you've got a, uh, as I understand it, doctor of philosophy, um, which means we're going to have lots of interesting conversations. But Please tell me if I got this right, because you're sounding like a full geek here. You got your PhD in artificial intelligence in genetic algorithms. Is this true? Yep, it is. No, I've, I did the, uh, my PhD was in yeah, genetic algorithms or GAs, um, which, uh, uh, so it's not, it's not medical for a start. Um, and uh, yeah, looking at, so it's a branch of AI, looking at how you can optimize search procedures and so on. So I was part of the neural computing research group at uh, Aston University in the UK. Uh, many moons ago now, but uh, yeah, when when AI was kicking off and neural networks were all kicking off, there was a small bunch of us in the in the lab there, and I was the GA GA component looking at that. Well, one of the things that always fasc- fascinates me about our industry is the diversity of background that people have, and uh, I know you've been <laughs> in and around customer service for a long period of time, and I really want to unpack that because um, you know it's rare that I guess that you got combine the skill sets that you've got with customer service, which is typically, you know, really touchy-feely kind of people, um, and yet mm. full nerd looking at your resume. And uh, <laughs> having speaking, spoken to you, uh, I know you're not a nerd, so uh, you're actually a fantastic bloke. And uh, so let's uh, unpack that because you originally hailed from the, from the UK. Yeah, that's right. No, I, I started after doing my um, research degree and then went off into uh, project and program management. So my, my initial background going through doing and started off in customer service around CRM and CRM implementation back in the, the kind of early days of of CRM when it was it was starting off. Learned a few lessons there, deployed some CRM systems across uh, UK wide um, and then went into the consulting environment with the big four. Um, and started off, so I was with uh, Deloitte as a consultant there for a, a number of years in the CRM practice and got through into customer strategy, more into contact centers and, and really helping organizations understand how to get the best out of. Uh, it's not just about technology, it's the whole how do we relate to the customers, how do we improve customer contact and the customer experience of which technology was was then a part and and it kind of went from there then dropped out of consultancy into went client side um operational uh contact center customer relations manager in uh, the uk at um actually it was birmingham city council one of the uk's largest metropolitan authorities so i spent a few years years there running the uh the customer service operation and complaints management um was an area i picked up as well as part of that um, and then, yeah, decided to head down to New Zealand in 2010 um, after doing some independent independent work. And then I've been down here in the Southern Hemisphere since. Uh, it's As we were talking before we started recording this, uh, I'm a huge fan of uh, Wellington, having spent a bit of time there. But I've, I've got to ask, though, why not Australia? Oh, the, I love pre-COVID being able to just visit Australia. Uh, it's nice to have it there, but I can walk through the bush outside and not wonder what's going to kill me. It's that, 
<laughs> yes. There's always something that's going to bite me, sting me. You know? uh, so no, I'm I'm not uh, I'm not a fan of the Australian wildlife, but I'm a fan of going to Australia, visiting, and coming home to New Zealand, and being able to go out onto the block and uh, just walk through a long field without worrying what's out there. Well, that's fair enough. I suppose the only thing that's going to hurt you in New Zealand is being trampled by sheep. So uh, there's my first New yeah. Zealand joke in. So uh, um, <laughs> plenty more to come, and hopefully better standard than that one. Um, now um, talking about. Customer, uh, customer service, customer experience. As you said, you, you've really sort of had a diverse background, but you're now running mm. uh, your own Price Parrot Limited. So <laughs> tell me a little bit about uh, what you do, free sales plug here. <laughs> Yeah, no, we um, we I started off in the UK when I left um, the uh, public sector and, and just started doing independent consultancy um, over there. So helping to really get organisations to um, understand how they can improve their performance. So we look at insights, new insights into customer service, um, Im- improvement in performance, um, and assurance reviews around best practice. So according to international standards around contact centres and particularly complaints management. Um, so as you can see from the, the website there, I've done a, a fair range of, of different um, areas and helped clients across the world um, from New Zealand, uh, a number of clients in Australia. We've got Microsoft Australia there coming up on the, on the case studies. There's a few case study reviews. Um, just recently been working with uh, in the public service with um, the New Zealand Parliamentary Service and clients in Australia like New South Wales Fair Trading, uh, the Aged Care Quality and Safety Commission, which is quite quite relevant at the moment with the, the Royal Commission report having come out and a lot of work around complaints management and the improvements in those industries. So quite a broad range of industry sectors um, that I'd, I'd picked up over my career and then, yeah, taking that really as a an independent consultant, so kind of free of any in, in particular technology platforms, um, being able to concentrate on helping contact centre leaders and customer service leaders understand what what do they really need to focus on, what's the strategy, where can they make improvements and, and how are they doing and um, practical things to help improve the customer experience um, in, in the way your operation works and there's always room for that in, in contact centres and for learning but trying to share some of that, that knowledge around with, with independent clients in a, a range of different sectors. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, we obviously both work in pretty similar fields um, based, based on that explanation. So what are some of the things that you're seeing? Because you have, you said you have worked across a, a range of different um, clients mm. and um, and you've certainly got a, you know, as you said, you do lots of stuff, but you've, you've got a real passion, I guess, around customer complaints because you've, you've worked in and around that space for a long period of time. You did the video on, on the Grenfell, you got some some out yeah. outtakes from that. So what, what are you seeing that companies get it wrong? Because... I guess my experience here in Australia particularly is we're still really crap at it. Organisations just haven't got their head around why customers are important still. So, yeah, what are some of the trends that you're seeing? I think I think the thing that we're – the thing that I've been focusing on at the moment, and you mentioned the, the Grenfell Inquiry, I did a, a little bit of analysis around – it was about um, a year ago, or 2019 actually, the, the Grenfell first phase inquiry came out. And, and whilst that, that focuses on the, all of the incidents and, and the, the terrible tragedy around that, that tower, there was specific lessons that contact centres can learn and any contact centre can learn in the chapters around how communications were handled. And that is an example because the theme behind it is for 20 years now, we've known how to do things well and yet we still fail to learn the lessons. Um, there's some other, other work I'm going to be talking about in the, in the next few weeks and, and months um, on this. But people don't seem to learn the lessons of the basics. And I think there's a trend where we're so taken up with running off to the next shiny toy, that shiny toy syndrome, 
that we haven't looked at what are the fundamental essentials of what makes a customer experience happen, what makes it work. Um, if you have a good process, you know who your customers are and they follow a process, those process holes are going to cause the problems. And I'm not sure that organizations really have a handle on how they learn from that feedback or learn from those failures and improve that. And we just see ourselves falling over and over customer experience problems that become a customer experience nightmare and people aren't focusing on how to fix the basics. So what I've been trying to do, certainly recently, in, in things like the Grenfell paper is a good example of that, is look at what are the lessons you can learn and what are the tangible improvements that you can make in how you look at your own performance without engaging people like you and I to, to tell you. A lot of the lessons I learned from consulting is the people who know it are the ones sitting in your call center and you can employ a consultant to come in and ask them and they'll yeah. go around and interview everybody and then tell you. Yep. Um, why don't you just go and ask them for yourself? Or go don't give it away. Don't give away our secret. <laughs> I know. I know. It's amazing. Um, look at your, you know, your own customer complaints and customer feedback is such a rich source of improvement and there are standards out there to help people and people are just struggling with how do I get that in place and that's where I think, you know, consultancy can can help add value. Sometimes you can't see the wood for the trees and sometimes you need an, an independent person to come in and go, actually, here's the information and let's help you sort out what those priorities are. Yep. Jason, we, we, I know we were discussing over LinkedIn on one of the LinkedIn posts around uh, you know customer complaints and, and it just seems to be, honestly, you're right, nothing seems to have changed in a long period of time. We've got a lot of companies are putting in you know the feedback loop so they're they're you know they're sending out after call surveys or they're they're sending out email surveys or sms surveys you, you name it there's no shortage of data but yet it just doesn't seem to translate in taking actions do you think it's just uh, misunderstanding at the, at the top level it's the driver behind that or is it just that you know it's still not sexy they, they don't see the cost benefits so like why do you think because it's not it's not on shortage of data anymore so, but we're still not seeing any actions being taken um, yeah, you're absolutely right, and it's it's baffling to a large degree. Um, I think there's there's a some some work I've done in in one of the, the the courses that I've done looks at the cycle of customer service and where it goes, and and a lot of organisations kind of get stuck at that. Oh, we're we're putting out feedback and we're collecting the feedback, but what are we doing about it? And and there's you know you need to have that mechanism for continuous improvement in there. And there is an element of time and resource to do it, that when you're under pressure in a contact center and you're, you're looking for the next thing that you've got to do, actually do people dedicate the time and resource to have that team that looks at it who can make the improvements? And some of the, the examples of organizations I've worked with is then you've got those improvements, but you end up getting stuck in the organizational politics because the improvement, so the customer service team, the contact center team, for example, might do an awful lot of analysis in where the root cause problems are, um, and that's a great exercise to do. But actually, the root cause problem is outside of the scope of that business unit. So now you, and this is why customer strategy at an organizational level is important, because now you hit the silo. Um, an example I can give you of that back from, from my career when I was back in, in the UK was um, uh, it was a, a telecom provider and they were issuing a new broadband service and their contact centers being swamped by calls and technical calls and problems. Um, the root cause of this was that the letters were being sent out to customers telling you that your new broadband service would go live on Monday, for argument's sake. 
Um, and in the small print at the bottom, it said after 4 p.m. So at nine o'clock on Monday, little Johnny comes down terribly <laughs> excited about his new broadband service. Nothing's working. So they increased the calls. Now, it was actually fixing the letter that went out that was a responsibility of marketing. So to remove those calls, as a call center, you could either pump a load of resource to manage the demand and try and staff up to meet those peaks, which you're always going to be chasing, or just by changing the text in the letter to say, actually, your broadband goes live on Tuesday. Actually, it was live at five o'clock on Monday. The calls disappeared. That's right. Because you've got the root cause. And I think organizations need to have the ability that, A, you've got to do the analysis, um, I think we're all fed up of having uh, marketing surveys that say we value your feedback and then you actually give feedback and say, well, I had this problem. Could somebody call me? Mm. And you never get called. There's very few organizations will actually act on it yep. um, or perceived by customers as acting on it. Um, and then you have to take that into an organizational improvement and, and try and cut through. It's the old, the old thing that we've had since CRM when I first started doing it as silos, organizations working in silos. How do we break them down? And, and that's where a customer-centric organisation needs to focus. Yeah, no, spot on. I mean, I, I said I was in Sydney uh, last week doing some, some consulting for an organisation. Mm-hmm. And, and, but, you know, you're probably like me. When you stay at a hotel, you, you're kind of sensitive to, to the customer experience. And there was just, you know, I walked in and, you know, the TV, you know, they got your name saying, you know, welcome, Justin Tippett, et cetera. I walked in and it said, welcome, uh, Mr. Tippett, Justin. Okay, that's interesting. Can't even get my name the right way around, but okay. Um, so I saw that on the TV every morning when I woke up. So that was great. Um, but what was interesting is that it was, it was Mardi Gras weekend. In, in Sydney and so it was obviously mm. pretty busy in Sydney and um, and trying to organise breakfast I had breakfast every morning and um, anyway on Saturday morning um, so fully booked there was literally now I'd paid for breakfast as part of the hotel thing there was no uh, no room in the restaurant to take your booking and I said oh okay that's interesting and I said oh so what happens and they said oh well you can just order in room you know in room dining instead and I thought oh, okay that's fine um, but um you had to pay for that separately. And she said, and I said, oh, hang on, I've already paid for breakfast. You guys can't accommodate me in the restaurant. I'm not sure what I've done wrong here. Uh, you clearly yeah. haven't planned for the surge demand, et cetera. That's your kind of your job as your hotel. And, mm-hmm. uh, and she said, oh, and when I asked her about the, the money side of it, she said, oh, um, yeah, but oh, that's just a different department though. So that was the reason yeah. why that, you know, they, couldn't, they couldn't transfer the money over, so to speak. And I said, well, it might be a dif- different department, but to me, you're the one hotel. Um, and <laughs> you just see that just time and time and again. It doesn't have to be in the call centre. It's just across all businesses, that silo mentality cl- clearly just cripples business, doesn't it? Absolutely. Uh, it's a great example there of, oh, that's not my department. And, and you know, one... The organization only ever sees, the customers only ever see the brand of a single organization. I remember having a conversation with, um, when I was back in the public sector, with uh, Ted O'Keefe, who was a director at Chicago, 311 Center. And um, his view on on 311 and how the the non-emergency number in the US, you call 311 for non-emergency services and city services work, his view was very, very clear around this, that people don't care which department of government, they just call government and i want and it's your job as an organization if you're in the public sector to be able to take that and there's nothing more frustrating from the customer to say oh that that's not my department (laughs) i it's going back to the beginning and you said you know i I was doing this point in a series of podcasts that i'm doing at the moment around saying it's been 20 years here let's take a reflection i remember when i first set myself up as an independent i wrote a blog post on this back in about 2012 
because I was signed up with a bank automatically when you set up a company. And over a period of five weeks, I got sent five checkbooks, that dates it at the time, five checkbooks and five check guarantee cards, all of which had a different combination of the name of my company. <laughs> on. Yep. And then I phoned the bank and said, look, this is enough. I'm, I moved away from the bank. I voted with my feet and yep. I thought, I've yep. enough of this. I'm yep. going. Can you please stop sending me random combinations of letters and i being uh, we go, maybe i am a little bit of a nerd because i calculated how many different combinations <laughs> over the years it take them to <laughs> get the two of them right yeah. um and um and then i i said and then they started telling me i got another credit card and i said to the guy on the phone look can you just stop doing oh you need to call the cards department so mm -hmm. we can't help you yeah. so run forward about what 10 or 11 years and the current situation i'm having with a different bank at the moment with the there'll, there'll be a podcast coming out on fire and forget fraud teams um the the explanation i had in response to the first stage of a complaint the other day was oh the fraud team haven't got access to messaging so they couldn't contact you mm -hmm. they just cancelled a transaction they yep. didn't tell me they were cancelling a transaction they just stopped it yep. but despite having a secure messaging service with two-factor authentication the fraud team can't get to that or can't use it and, and where have we come in 20 years where one department can't even within their organization, if they can't have access to a system, can they not phone the contact center internally and say, hey, this customer needs to know that we've got a query about their transaction. Can you just message them because we don't have access? And that's the difference between siloed thinking and customer centric thinking. Um, and looking at things from the customer, you know, we hear the words customer journey, customer experience. What does it mean is that every time I talk to somebody, I get pain when I hit your organization's structure. And I shouldn't have to know about that. Couldn't agree more. I actually had exactly the same scenario with my bank. It cancelled a transaction. And again, I'd already done mm -hmm. the two-factor you know, authorization. You're thinking, well, you've already put those steps in place to make sure my transaction's secure. I authorised the transaction and you still cancelled it. You didn't contact me and, you know, I was needed something pretty urgently and didn't end up happening. And it took me literally a couple of days over multiple phone calls, not just to the bank, but to the person I bought it from because they couldn't work out what had happened either. Mm. Uh, it was just a mess. And there's just that no ownership around, as you said, just fixing yeah. it because it was someone else's department or there was another reason. That, big question here, Jason. How, how do we stop it? Is that where you think the roles of... You know, the, we're now seeing these you know, senior exec roles, the C-level sort of, um, you know, whether it's the the, the um, chief customer officer roles kind of thing. Is that is that the answer to this? I think um, it, it comes back. It's another one of those buzz phrases we've heard a lot. Of, it comes back to your company culture and how do you change the company culture, the key of it? Because, I mean, there's an example I gave back in when I was in, in my own, in the Service First podcast talking in, in episode three, I think it is, is around... Um, I, the experience of trying to buy a washing machine in a lockdown when we had lockdown. Now, I went through various levels of customer service uh, nightmare. It was a Dirty Harry washing machine roulette, I ended up calling it. You know, do you <laughs> feel lucky? Well, do you? Are you going to get your washing machine today or aren't you? Can I buy with a normal transaction? Now, when it got up to the senior level manager, when I got to the point of complaint, the whole thing was sorted in minutes mm. so people with the right level of authority and attitude towards customer service and and the c-suite executives will all have that can cut through things i think the when i look back at that for the lessons learned and the lessons learned that i covered in in that episode were it's actually it was around um processes being inflexible 
and not being able to do it. It was around staff not understanding when they could flex the process within the bounds of, um, you know, there was no fraud risk behind what we were asking to do, but there's adaptation. Ken Blanchard talks about this in his book, Raving Fans, you know, the ability to, I've got a stupid process in front of me, actually I can flex it with no risk to the customer, no risk to the organization and deliver great service. Well, why am I not empowered to do that? But empowerment needs the middle managers to have the authority to give to the staff at the front line. It needs training for staff in the front line to know what they can and can't do and the processes to allow them to do it. And it needs the C-suite executives to actually be looking at some of this data, not just the red, amber, green report, but going taking the time to drill down into it. I, this might be a controversial one to go to. I get immensely frustrated when you're doing senior level presentations. People say, well, if it's not in five bullets on one page, they won't read it. Some of the issues we have to face across an organization take a little bit more thinking than five bullet points on a page. And if that's all the attention that you're able to give to it, mm. then it's no wonder that a crack at the top is a chasm at the bottom, to use that, that kind of analogy. So I think having the data, having that focus, getting that right message right the way down and through. But culture is about what you do every day and how people actually act, particularly when they're not being watched or monitored or supervised. That's what your, your culture is and your brand is. And, and there are so many people in contact centers and customer service who are there to do a really great job and they want to help the customer but actually they're being held back by this ball and chain around their feet of, oh, I can't, computer says no, process won't let me, not my department, I can't get there. Uh, the job of the C-suite execs is to start to really honestly look at that and cut through it. I uh, couldn't agree more. You've taken every single thing I would normally say. You've just said it almost word for word. So uh, we are definitely on the same page there. Jason, uh, we, we know that. You know, we, we do it for a living. We mm -hmm. go into organisations and we help them do this sort of stuff. Um, but clearly, at the sea level, it, it isn't cutting through still. And yes, they can go and get some yep. consultants. And yes, we can spell it out to them, hopefully more than just five dot points, as you said, mm -hmm. uh, because it's serious. But why, when call centres have been around longer than I have, um, which is a long time now, um, why, why is it still an issue? Because every bit of research that we look at tells us that if you look after your customers – you're going to have a better business. It's going to be more profitable. The customer's mm -hmm. going to stay with you longer, et cetera, et cetera. Every single metric you could potentially measure shows an improvement when you get the customer experience right. So why is it still so hard? Ooh. Um, I think if I can touch on, again, I'll just re reinforce that problem from the Grenfell stuff. The reason I wrote that Grenfell paper, well, there, there was a very good paper that I've referenced in that that shows that we have had if we can't get it right for major disasters where people lose lives and everybody looks at a, an inquiry report and and they they take on the the you know whether it's a terrible event that has happened a tragedy like that or in australia you're seeing the royal commission into aged care and some horrific stories and everybody has the motivation to do it and over time uh, things just kind of fade into the background. Or in the Grenfell case, for example, it was looking at a specific issue. Other call centres may sit back and say, oh, well, that's not my sector or that's not my business, so it doesn't apply to me. And we're not looking at the transferable lessons and we're not following those through. Now, we can have a conversation about, is that because we're not monitoring things at the 
at the the exec level if you take complaints as an example yeah. how many execs are monitoring the number of complaints well the side effect function of that is that you start to down the line and there's some behavioral and psychology research that, that backs this up in complaint management as well that if you're encouraging subliminally a lower number of complaints then actually the behaviors you encourage are people suppressing the opportunity to make that complaint um, people at the front line will look at not just their ma what their manager says but their words their actions their behavior their body language and think oh actually i don't think i should bother them with that so customers get left out the other side of it i think is comes straight straightforward funding and and organizations are i understand you know organizations particularly large organizations there's a constant focus on the bottom line and, and moving things through and that's where we get shiny toys syndrome of replacing some interventions because customer service costs it, it you're absolutely right that the business case is there and it can cost more but those aren't transparent on the same budget line as the problem if that makes sense um, I know, for example, on, uh, on the complaints front, I can think of an example with a, an insurance company in the UK where we had an advisor who gave out the wrong piece of information to save that 10 seconds to meet that call target and get that call clear because that's their job. That's what they're entitled to do. Yep. That 10 second call then led to a complaint that came into a senior executive and then you have seven very highly paid senior executives running around fixing the problem. Mm. But if you look at the cost of that, um, and there has been research for out of Newcastle University on the, the ROI of complaints management, it's, you know, it, it's self-defeating. But nobody looks at the cost of processing the complaint versus the original 10 seconds that it would have done to, sure. um, yep. you know, cost to at the, at the cause so it's that's that's what that's what root cause analysis looks like not as a a concept and a bit of brown paper on your wall that's what it looks like in reality is going right how do i fix that how do i give that agent the training training takes time it takes investment from the organization to to really start to, to move that culture through um execs have to lead from the top as well it's the do what i say not what i do Mm. Um, sorry, do what I do. No, yeah. You've got to lead by example. <laughs> <laughs> I've got myself tied up in there. So, Jason, I, look, I, yeah. I agree. And but I guess I, where I get stuck at is it's good for our business. So it's good for anyone that works in customer service or customer experience for companies to keep stuffing it up because that's why we keep getting uh, work. So uh, I'm all for companies continuing to deliver crap service from a personal perspective. <laughs> um, but the reality is, uh, obviously, for at a society level, it's really bad. And I don't think service has really improved in, in the time I've been working in this industry. And I, so I still got to wonder that we, we know what to do to fix it. And whether you use consultants or not, there's there's opportunities out there. There's you know there's you've got the ServiceNow um, podcast. I've got my podcast. There's YouTube galore videos to to get tips on how to improve service and complaints management, etc. But I still don't think C-suite get it. And when they engage us, sure. But are we are we just looking at this at the wrong level? Because you know why is part of an, an MBA or why is part of a business degree? Nothing seems to have changed around including call centres or customer service or contact centre management because for whatever reason it's deemed not important. And yeah. so we'll teach everyone all the other stuff but but not that. Is that yeah. why it's just not getting I, through? I think it, it, it becomes there's an element of it when you're, you know, a lot of the exec level um, stuff because 
uh, I suppose that potentially this might be controversial amongst some in the customer experience community, but again, making it a specific role, whilst there's a place for that, divorces people who are not in that role from the customer. If you want to have a customer-centric culture, then everybody has to understand the impact they have on the customer. And it's a little bit of a kind of a lean and, and systems thinking point of view that mm. if you can't see how your job adds value to the customer, mm. why either your job is regulatory and you have to do it, or it adds value to the customer, or why are you doing it? Because somewhere along the line, you have to draw that chain. Yeah. And when people stop drawing that chain, the, the biggest hint, if you're, if, if you're a C-suite contact center executive listening to this, and you, maybe I'm, I'm not, you know, call center isn't my thing. When did you last go and listen in? When did you last do a back to the floor exercise and go and sit down in that call center and listen to the customers and speak to the advisor and ask them what their top five problems were? And you will learn a bucket load. And good organizations do that. It helps on a number of fronts, just as a simple exercise. You know, if, if there's a customer service week coming up, doing it. Now, mm -hmm. in a previous organization I worked with, we said, we'll do this for customer service week. We'll went, uh, we bought all the services that we represented mm -hmm. in the contact center where we were fronting their service. And we said to the directors of those services, come into the call center for customer service week and sit with the agents who are running your service and listen in. And everybody was terribly enthusiastic. And on the day that it happened, there was me and my number two were the only two people who turned, no, sorry, one other turned up, but he didn't yeah. want to take any calls, but at least he came and listened in. And it completely changed the perspective they had on the customer service, the job the contact center does. And I think people have to look at customers. It's, it's not paying lip service to saying, oh, we're customer centric because I've read the report on it. There's mm -hmm. an element of if you're not in contact with those customers and doing it, you won't understand the problems you won't understand where the processes are restricting your advisors, where the technology system that you've just signed off actually isn't quite working, where the process holes are for people and where the customers are dropping through the cracks. Yep. So it's, it's making a customer-centric culture everybody's business and, and everybody's way of, of thinking and acting. So back to your controversial statement, what, you, what you're suggesting is if we companies go and engage a or create a role called the chief customer officer, that's actually not going to fix all their problems. Um, not if everybody else on the board goes, oh, well, that's the customer officer's problem. Yep. The customer is everybody's problem and the customer-centric culture. If you're not thinking about a customer-centric culture because everything you do in your organization, whether it's a support function or otherwise, is going to have an impact on the customer. The processes you put in place, the policies, the systems you buy, the way you operate, the strategy you have is going to have a direct impact on the customer. So if you are, it's great that there's a, a, a customer champion and a voice of the customer at board level. That's a real step forward from where we've been, where mm. the call center ended up under the finance director because it's part of customer service down the bottom of the chain. Yep. At least we're at the right level. But everybody, you know, that person can't be an island of, of one representing the customer if mm. people around don't believe it. You've got to believe in it and turn that belief into what happens in your own business area. So, Jason, for those that are working in an organization that they're running the contact center, they're very customer focused, they're doing all the data, they're mm. constantly improving their processes and trying to make sure they're hitting their KPIs and all that sort of stuff. 
but you know i've been hearing this for 30 years that no one gives a crap about the call center you know no one cares we do all this great work and we just can't get any interest whatsoever we send out our reports we get no feedback we ask for things we get nothing back etc how do they go about actually making themselves that voice heard more and and i agree because a lot of it has to come from the top down but the reality is it's not for most organizations so what, what do you do when you're stuck running that contact center and no one seems to care um, I think I, where well, it, it's, it's a big, it's a big problem. I can feel <laughs> the pain of the, of the people who are listening go, come on, I want the answer. Um, go back. This is where actually complaints and, and feedback, I think are, are a good start point for you because the only, uh, one of the effective, everybody loves a story. We see that because of the billions of influencers who are now out there telling stories about things and, and getting far more likes than my dog gets <laughs> on social media. Yeah, yeah. Um, a story works. <laughs> I know, I know. A story works. So if you're if you're in a content and if you're struggling to get that message up to people and it's it's not quite hitting the KPI, you can't get it, personalize it, turn it into the story. And we know that's an effective way of getting that out. So the way you can use that, either something has happened to you, even if you're a frontline advisor, one of the, the things I'm, I'm surely going to produce on is, um, you know, we talk about social media influence. If you want to be a customer experience influencer, well, if you're at the front line of customer service, the answer is that you already are because you influence the customer's experience every day and you have the power to influence people above you and in the, in the hierarchy above you by taking those stories and explaining what the problem was in terms of what it meant to the customer. Now, complaints is a great place to do that from because you've got actual real data. And within complaints, you normally, and depending on the industry, you have a regulatory process where people have sometimes got some teeth to take up. You know, where things start getting noticed when the words ombudsman's regulation or ombudsman complaint comes into things. Yep. Um, so... That's where I would say if, if you're really struggling to get those messages out, try going down the storytelling route of making it personal. You've got the data on how many people this is affecting um, and what that means for your company in terms of cost or in terms of opportunity cost and cost lost. But use that personal story. Not You're not saying, oh, well, we have this problem with the process and 300 calls drop through. Tell people what happened to Justin when he called, when he wanted to try and go to the restaurant. So actually, this was Justin's experience. And that's where customer experience and customer stories and journey maps can help. It's not take it off the wall as the journey map mm. and put it into the case that when this happens to Justin, mm. he walks away and he feels pain. And actually, a thousand of our customers went through that this month. Or today, if you're in a volume call center, yep. you know, thousands and thousands of people will feel that pain. And that gives you a route because I've never found, I've rarely found somebody at the C-suite who is not interested in the customer story, yep. even if they're in a different department. They may not think it's their job. They might say, oh, it's the customer's office's job. But generally, the stories about what it means can get to them. You can put a story in five bullet points if you're tackling and dealing with one of those people as well. So you can make that, you know, here's the problem, here's the pain, here's real cases, and here's how we could do better. Uh, here's what it would mean for us. And here's what it would mean for them, um, as in them, as in the C-suite exec. What are their problems that they're facing? Um, and and try that as an approach. You've got the data. 
people are at that front line or in, the, in whether you're in frontline advisors, whether you're a supervisor or a call center manager, you have a bucket load of stories you can tell about pain and your complaints and feedback process will give you a bu- bucket load of real people to personalize and tell that story around. Yeah, I think it's a great tip. So if you are listening, um, I completely agree with Jason around that storytelling because I think too often we get trapped in the KPIs and the data and we say, oh, well, mm. we, we achieved you know, 80% greater service and you go, oh, that's amazing. But that also means 20% of the customers didn't. And But what's that mean in a story? Well, we had someone who actually came through and waited 27 minutes to get through and it was you know, really urgent for them and blah, blah, blah. And bring it to life uh, is the best way yep. to get some, uh, some interest in the organisation. And, so. and what's your, you know, that was our our grade of service, our average wait time, but what was your maximum wait time? How did it feel for that customer when they were going through? And, you know, when you're when you're talking about volume call centers dealing with large percentages, that actually turning it into, oh, we, we got, you know, 90% of these answer. Well, the 10% might be thousands and thousands of customers. Right. And this was the pain they went through. Is that really good enough? And in, in some, again, thinking back to my public sector days, you know, some of the services we were doing were quite sensitive and important services. When somebody was kept waiting, when the complaint target wasn't answered in 28 days, as an example I can think of, mm. that meant people might lose their home. Yep. They might be evicted because their benefit hasn't been paid within 20 days the public se- a lot of public sector organizations are working in in service levels they've got seven eight minute calls they're working in service levels that are 120 seconds or more and we're answering 60 percent of our calls in 120 seconds how many people are waiting for more than three minutes to even get in what are the outliers and the proportion of them because they'll give you a real key to service improvement you know, I, I don't say this glibly. I've sat in the performance and planning manager's chair. I know what a, a Monday morning spike looks like and how painful it is. If you're, if you're listening to that chair, he doesn't know what he's doing. He's, he's never had to face this. But it, that's the area that starts to allow you to personalize it and look for improvement and move those margins out. You can move 1%, 2% out on the people you serve. You're making a big difference to a lot of those people and, and start to find the, those limits rather than being tied up on your KPI. There you go. There's another hot tip. Jeez, you've got to listen to this podcast more, people. You're getting all these great tips from all these fantastic people. Um, Jason, with um, because you are across everything and, and we spoke about what you're seeing, but where, where do you think it's going? What do you think the next sort of 12 months looks like for the sector? Because obviously COVID's had a pretty big impact, uh, not just on our industry, on all industries. So how, how do you see sort of customer service slash customer experience rolling out? Um, I, I'm, I'm kind of sitting here in a, um, a sort of a it could go either way. Because I think we've now reached the point, organizations, a lot of organizations did a tremendous job through COVID and the lockdowns and coping with it. We know that we've seen a huge increase in online traffic and online delivery service services around there. We're also seeing stories I'm hearing, say, from the UK, for example, is an awful lot of organizations that are in a state where they should be able to cope with things now they've moved to home working are now starting to blame COVID for delays that are not necessarily COVID related. So I think the warning signs, if I can start there, are for organizations not to rest on their laurels and start to look at blaming performance failures that were there or process holes that were there without COVID. What COVID will have done and the pressures of COVID is highlight any holes in your process very, very quickly. 
They always do, in, in particularly in volume call center environments and online service as well. Um, and and I think people need to start. It's a good time to do that lessons learned stuff and start to stress test things and think, OK, we've just had a massive stress test. What was going wrong? Are we putting our investment into fixing some of those things? Mm. There is a danger people are going to leap. A shiny new toy syndrome has been going for 20 years. The, the, the size and the shininess of the toys has just changed. Yep. Now we've moved on from the CRM system as your shiny toy to the chatbot as your shiny toy. That's what I'm talking about, a multi-channel disservice in the latest thing. We are introducing a new range of process holes here. Mm. Uh, and the temptation to say, well, we've got to cut costs. We'll go and invest in this shiny new chatbot over here, but what's it going to do? Have you thought it through? How's it going to work? And is it enhancing the experience or is it actually delivering more contact over multiple channels? Mm. Because if you want to do channel shift away from the phone, actually the evidence of the last 20 years shows there hasn't been a massive channel shift away right. from the phone. And where there has been, it depends on the content of what people want to call about. If it's something that matters, survey i saw just last week 71 percent of people still want to phone and speak to a human being if it's a really serious thing so you can't underinvest and think that the chatbot will sort everything out ai will solve the world they're pattern recognition systems and they can learn bad patterns as well yeah. um so th there's a there's a warning there i think in terms of what um not just talk about the warnings and be the doom mongers what's the good thing about it the good opportunity people have learned how rapidly they can shift yep. Um, I remember having a conversation with a client in January of, of last year about a piece of work and, and they said, oh, we don't think this can be effectively delivered online. And, and they went off with somebody else, which is which is fine. Yep. Um, and then came March and suddenly the entire world, some organizations within a matter of weeks have just gone, we need to do this. We're working online, the Zoom and, and the, the stability other than, you know, we know that Internet is not always stable in many, many places. Um, but the speed with which organizations have had to adapt has been a really positive lesson. And I think it shows that where there's um, a pressure and where there's a will to do it, people can do it. And we should take the lessons of that benefit uh, forward in, into, into where things are going. And look at the lessons of what hasn't worked. That's where, again, coming back to that Grenfell paper, there's some basic stuff we've known for 20 years that mm. wasn't done. Um, when did you last train your staff in your contingency plans? That was a finding of an inquiry that caused a real problem. Yep. Uh, everybody has the contingency plan on the desk. The contingency plan may have been tested in COVID. If it wasn't, get your contingency plan and see if it's real see if it works because it'll it'll help you navigate through the problems like that yeah um last question jason um and i won't make it too difficult i promise um you've got some videos on on your website around mm. helping people work from home um get the lighting right get the audio right etc um and from all reports a very big hit on youtube um do you think it's here to stay? Do you think now that home, you know, home office working or remote work, working or whatever term you want to use is here to stay? And secondly, do you think it has any impact on the customer experience? Um, if, you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you're doing a video call with the shiny yellow light on your forehead still, then it has an impact on the customer experience if you're customer facing. Um, I, I, admittedly, it's sunny here today. And so I'm, I'm a bit lit from the side, despite having my curtains closed. 
Um, yeah, I think we're not, I don't think we're going to move all the way back to everybody in the office. There will be some moves for that. We've already heard some organisations saying, nope, we want people back in the office. It's not as effective. We have in, in some public sector organisations, once the COVID, you know, the vaccines roll out as, as people become safer, um, there's a political incentive for many to say, um, actually, we need you back in the office because you're not buying some coffee shops and therefore they're suffering. So, mm. um, But a lot of the surveys that I've, certainly the research that I've seen and the, and the opinion surveys I've seen, so people have got very comfortable with this. We know we can do it. People have put in a lot of time and effort. So for some people, they will want that choice. We know that people from younger generation want to have a little bit more flexibility and freedom about the way they work. And frankly, if you can do it, and COVID has proved that we can, well, why wouldn't you? If you want to be an employer of choice and you've got the ability and people can set themselves up safely with a good health and safety environment in their own office, um, why wouldn't you do this? I think it's shown us what's possible. I think there will be some move. Obviously, people, you know, it, it suits some people and not others. But I think we will probably, I would hope, we'll start to continue to see an awful lot more flexibility offered. Um, if you, the old adage that we see on those LinkedIn memes all the time, if you're looking after your employees, they will look after your customers. And one part of it is, are they happy in their environment? Can they work productively? Um, it gives better service if people are, are relaxed and able to focus on the customer, not their two-hour schlep into the office. Spot on. Um, Jason, I've really, really enjoyed uh, this and I hope more importantly that our listeners have really enjoyed this because there's been some great tips uh, that we've given throughout the podcast. Um, and if people are looking to learn more from you or engage with mm. you, they can just go to priceparot.com and it's double R, double T. Um, yep. So priceparot.com. Uh, and uh, there's links to both your Service uh, service Now podcast. Um, you do a so podcast first, as well. Yeah, sorry, first. Sorry, in, my uh, apologies. Uh, um, right, uh, priceparot.com slash podcast will get you to the podcast. There's articles, videos all the rest of it and, and information up there i think just on your on your point there justin as well around uh we hope the listeners have enjoyed it we've been talking about complaints and feedback all day so please do let people know what you thought about it. you know let, let us know if there was something that you violently disagree with that's a great point for a discussion and there's no bad discussions we can have about improving customer service um if there's any direct feedback i'm sure we will be more than happy to hear it and we will read all that feedback and respond absolutely we certainly will so um thank you everyone for uh for joining in today if you've been watching us on the video um a nice way for you if you've been listening on the podcast thanks for tuning in uh, it's really difficult we're talking uh, offline before we came on with uh, with jason around just how hard it is to get traction these days because there's so much on on linkedin and youtube and podcasts etc but i think one thing that uh, i think if you stick to the adage if you really enjoy what you're doing uh i think that comes across and it's certainly very clear clear um jason that you're very passionate around what you do and getting the customer experience right and the customer service right so thank you for taking the time to join us today and uh i have no doubt i've really enjoyed the chat i'm sure we'll do it again uh, at some further point down the track thanks for having me uh, pleasure thanks everyone for listening